You're listening to The No Name Photo Show, the podcast dedicated to lively conversations about the creativity, business, and technology of photography. I'm your host, Brian Matias. Let's chat. Welcome, everyone, to episode 50 of The No Name Photo Show. Pretty cool that we hit a nice round number milestone halfway to the Centennial 100. And if you listen to episode 49, you would have heard my guest. She is a full-time photographer, an all-around wonderful person, and just happens to be the far better half of me, my wife, Nicole, Suzanne Young, aka Nicolezy. Say hi to everyone. Hello, everyone. Hey. Uh, so you were on, and actually, not that I'm surprised, but I got a significant number of very positive comments that people were really happy to hear from you. So I thought, you know what? Originally, and this was Nicole's idea, we were walking the dogs a few weeks ago and I was kind of bouncing ideas with her off of what the topic of episode 50 should be about. And she was like, you know what? Why don't you just do it, you know, just like you uh, talking with the audience, just like just me. And because, you know, even when Sharky and I went and he's focused on his show and I'm doing this show, I said that, okay, there'll be some episodes where it'll just be me, but I've been enjoyed having guests and I really enjoyed having you here, especially because it's super easy to get you in <laughs> the the home office, Matias Incorporated and Nicolzi Incorporated. So uh Nicolzi, why don't you um let's just start tell you know, let tell people about yourself. Sure. Uh like you said, I'm a pr- uh well, a full time photographer if you listen to the last episode. You could argue I'm a professional photographer. Take your pick. Um I have an online business where I create training for photographers and I sell courses and presets and all of that fun stuff. And I'm kind of just all over the internet. I blog fairly, fairly, I'm getting to blogging a little bit more regularly. We all kind of go through those waves of sharing a lot and then kind of sloping down and I'm kind of back on that upward slope of, of sharing a lot more and writing a lot more. So yeah, I think it's uh, we're off to a really good start. And I just have to say, Brian, I'm really proud of you that you made it to 50 episodes so far. And here's to another 50. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. And I love you. I love you too. So here's the thing. Uh, kind of, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least use my own show to do a very mild kind of promotion or advertisement. But it does actually make sense. It plays directly into the theme of this episode. But uh, last Thursday... I released a brand new uh, photography course. So similar to Nicole, one of my the, the my key kind of business models or part of my business model is building premium uh, photo courses. So I released a brand new one called Then and Now. And if you go to my website, you'll see it there, matias.com. And the the kind of the crux of of Then and Now is you know my goal is to challenge you to uh, think about and study the photographer you used to be. So I've been photographing for 20 years and 10 of those have been what I would consider to be in one form or another professional where I either I was working for a company full-time uh, in the photography industry or working for myself full-time. And in order for yourself to grow, yeah, you can learn from YouTube videos and stuff, but really I, I've always thought that, you know, especially when I turned 40, I turned 40 in, in, in September, I said 1978, which is the year I was born. But in September of 2018, I turned 40. And as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm focusing more on, you know, the life I've lived because, you know, 40, you're getting there, you know, and 
I thought, well, what what kind of photographer was I? And of course you can think about it, you know, Nicole, like in a variety of ways, like what kind of person was I? What kind of uh, husband was I? What kind of brother was I? But specifically for photography, um, you know, I think that that there's a lot that you can find. And so I decided to build this entire course uh, around it. And that's kind of the theme of this episode. So, you know, again, before we start diving into that, uh, I'd love it if you haven't heard about the product. If you just go to Matias.com, it's called Then and Now. If uh, there's a, 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 I've reduced the price just to celebrate the launch uh, for another couple of days. Actually, it was supposed to end on Tuesday, but uh, I realized that I didn't even put out a podcast episode. So I'm going to extend it a few more days. You'll see it all there. Um, on the landing page, but uh, you know, I'd love it if you uh, if you watch it. There's a cool trailer and a free video. Uh, I gave one of the videos, so check it out. Um, going back to this episode, Nicole, uh, this was actually Nicole's idea. Like I said, we were walking the dogs, and she thought it'd be cool to like talk about. All right, you know, this is episode 50 of the podcast. Let's just take a a, a trip down memory lane and think about things that um, that you know we have learned, like you know, with hindsight being 2020. So I'm going to start things off, Nicole. And the thing that I've learned the most about myself and, and the reason why I, this is kind of at the forefront of my mind, again, is because I just finished building this uh, new photography course then and now. Um, I have spent a lot of time looking through my photos from like 2007, 2008, 9, 10, that kind of time period. And so there were a lot of themes very clear ones that came up. And I think a lot of the listeners can kind of relate, especially if they go through, you know, all you do is go through your older photos and it's not just kind of, you know, randomly picking a folder and just randomly looking at photos. It's an active process. You know, you really have to actively kind of audit and and critique yourself, which sometimes can be uneasy. And what I found is that I really fell into these two kinds of traps. One of them is hardware focused. One of them is software focused. So like on the hardware side, almost all of my photos, you know, if, if you use Lightroom or even Capture One, you can filter by some interesting metadata. And when I looked at um, filtering by lenses, the, the Canon 15 millimeter tilt shift lens and the Canon 17 millimeter, I'm sorry, the Canon 15 millimeter fisheye lens and the Canon 17 millimeter tilt shift lens, those two, um, I mean, by far, almost every photo I took was with those. And when you use those niche lenses, especially the fisheye with its distortion, the tilt shift with its, uh, it's, the tilting specifically is what I did, uh, where you you kind of shift your plane of focus. It ruined a lot of photos for me, you know, photos that back then I thought were cool. Like, oh man, this is so cool. And then when I went back now, I'm like, God, this would have been such a great photo for me to share. Even though it's 10 years old, it would have been a great photo, but it's ruined because there's no way I can recover the distortion from a fisheye. There's no way that I can sharpen uh, an area that's out of focus because I tilted. So that's something that um, I really have, you know, that's something that it almost to the point where I'm terrified of doing that again, because you don't want to miss, you don't want to miss out on a photo because you don't even realize that you're doing something like subconsciously like that. And then the other thing, uh, you know, and I want to get you to share your, you know, your side of it, Nicole, is this, the software side, you know, I have way too many examples of photos that I bracketed and tone mapped that had absolutely no business being tone mapped for HDR. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It was just that that was the thing that was the hot thing. 
uh, people like you know Trey Ratcliffe and David Nightingale, they really put HDR on the map and Ben Wilmore. Um, the thing was they, maybe not so much David Nightingale, David Nightingale, he was like scientific with his tone mapping, but people like Trey and Ben, they used tone mapping as a stylization technique a lot. So you saw these really kind of in your face, uh, bold photos. And I guess I, I, that was something that resonated with me. Um, but it's a mistake because tone mapping is a utility. It's like a, it's like a, a hammer or a chisel. It's meant to, to fix, not to stylize. So a lot of my photos uh, there have been ruined, but fortunately I keep all my photos. So I've been able to go back to the ones that haven't been ruined um, it, you know, assuming that the frame, the original bracket hasn't been ruined from a fisheye or a tilt shift lens and I can edit it. So Nicole, what are your thoughts? Cause I want to pass, I talked for a while. I want to pass it along to you. Like, do you, am I kind of crazy? Am I the only person here who has this regret? No, actually I wanted to mention that the, what you were saying with the tone mapped photos where you have all the brackets and you, you know, obliterated them back, you know, what, 10 years ago, that's some of the stuff you share in your course, right? In your training, like you kind of go through and say, this is how I used to do it. And this is how I would do it now and kind of make a cleaner edit. Um, you know, and I've, I, I have a bunch of photos. I've probably done that too as well. And I can remember back in the day when I first learned about HDR, uh, just you, my impression of is it like, oh, I can go anywhere with bad light and create this amazing photograph because it doesn't matter. You know, that was the, my first impression of it. And unfortunately, that was kind of that was kind of the theme of it for a lot of people who were, you know, just discovering it for the first time. Um, I didn't really have the same um, the same like draw to HDR that you did and that a lot of hardcore photographers like that did a lot of landscape and architecture. Um, and I, and actually I have something I know we kind of discussed some of the things we were going to talk about beforehand. And there's one that I didn't really, I didn't think of until just now, uh, when, and it's really not really a, like a hardware thing. It's more just like a creative type thing. And I get to the hardware cause I have something about that, that I do want to talk about. But when I first started getting really serious with my photography, I started doing stock photography. So if you followed me, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, you probably saw me talking a lot about stock photography. And when I look back and I reflect on that, I realized that most of what I was photographing was only for my stock portfolio account. So I rarely gave myself the opportunity to just photograph something because I wanted to. You know, to me, it was like, this is my job. I have to do this. I want to photograph this because it might make me money. But just going, you know, I mean, I did photo walks and things like that. And I had a little bit of fun, but I didn't get into landscape photography because I didn't really see any point of it. You know, I was like, oh, well, I can't really, that doesn't do so well on stock. I photographed a lot of people. I started getting into food photography and those were kind of like the money-making type of stock. But I lived in Utah for two years, an absolutely gorgeous place for landscape photography. And I missed out on, I'm not that I can't go back there and I have gone back there, but I feel like I missed out on a lot of good opportunities to really grow as a landscape photographer because it wasn't until I moved uh, to Seattle and then I started hanging out with Brian that I actually really started getting into and enjoying landscape photography. And now it's like one of the things I love the most. Um, and so there's that, there's that kind of like creative aspect. And I guess, you know, just to kind of reflect on how I would phrase that is I wish, you know, back when I started photography that I didn't kind of put myself into a little box of what I can photograph. And now I just photograph whatever I want, whatever I, you know, I, I let myself try new things and experiment and discover things that maybe I wouldn't have before. Because, to, and of course my, my business is a little different now and it's to my advantage to kind of branch out and do a lot of different types of photography. Um, but 
you know, even if I wasn't doing that and I, I did focus on my stock stuff, I'd still let myself uh, kind of branch out and do other things. So that's kind of the one thing that I do regret, you know, probably like 10 years ago when I really first started. And I guess on the hardware side of things, um, when I was doing kind of, it's kind of flowing, I guess, with that stock photography stuff, uh, I, I think it was about 2006, 2007. And I was like, oh, I want to learn how to photograph people with studio lights. So I, you know, got online and I, I did some research and I was like, I'll get an alien bees lights. And I think I might even still have these lights. I've had them forever. They last forever. Um, but I was like, oh, I'm going to get the, the most expensive, brightest lights they have thinking in my mind, if it's expensive and it's the brightest, then it's probably the best. And they did work and I, they worked well and, you know, I was able to photograph people and, but then I eventually kind of transitioned into uh, photographing food. And while a lot of the food photography I do is done with window light, I did also make, you know, I made myself uh, learn how and and teach myself how to do everything with studio lights as well, because you never know what environment you're going to be in. You might not have good window light. And when I tried to use those same lights for the food photographs, they were too bright for the situation that I, I needed. I needed to be able to open my aperture a little bit wider and uh, it just they were just too powerful in order to get that, that shallow depth of field that I wanted. Uh, so, you know, and that can translate into a lot of other things. That can translate into camera bodies and lenses is a, is a really good example. You might think you need that super, super heavy, fast, big, giant camera lens camera lens, <laughs> giant lens, but when, when in fact you really, really don't need that. And I mean, I, I, I shoot Fujifilm and I, so there's like the kit lens, the 18 to 55 kit lens that comes with it. And then there's like this, I'm using finger quotes, air quotes here, pro version of the lens. And maybe it is the pro version of the lens, but it's a little bit heavier. It has, you know, a, a fixed aperture throughout. Uh, so you could argue that maybe it's better, but I, I actually really enjoy using, I don't even own the, the pro version of that lens. I actually really like the 18 to 55 version. It's a lot less expensive. It's a much smaller, lighter lens, but I've created a lot of great photographs using that lens. It's good for landscape. It's good for travel. I really haven't had any complaints about it. Um, you know, so that's a good example of you don't necessarily need the biggest, most expensive, most powerful thing, uh, especially, especially when you're first starting out. And it's, you know, I think when people first start out, they're always asked questions. What gear should I buy? What lens should I buy? Whatever. Um, try, you know, really do your research and, and make sure you're not like kind of going overkill. Uh, unless, you know, you know, we're not all made of money. If you have a lot of money to spend, then you're probably okay going a little bit. But I think for the most, for most of us, we are trying to uh, be smart with that and not go too crazy. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it with, it's interesting because, you know, I, I'll go through like through the the tripod route. Whereas with you with the lights, you you went from the the you know big bad you know alien bee lights and realized that like okay this is too much for what your needs are. For me, the, the, you know tripods are the same thing, and it's also talking about you know starting with something that you know like a camera body for example or a lens that's like maybe exceeds your current needs. Partly because you might not even know where your needs really are. You know, it's not enough to just go on on DP review or F stoppers and read about the you know why this lens is so good. Um, for me, like with tripods, for the longest time, maybe a yeah, like about a decade, I used a um, a Manfrotto, just like a I think it was like a you know it's like two hundred fifty bucks, like the 
190 uh, CX Pro or something like that to that effect. It was an aluminum tripod, very basic, had a center column. It was cool because the center column, you can flip it when you extend it out, you can flip it horizontal. So that, that was kind of cool. Um, and I used that for a very long time, basically until I realized I, uh, where I actually realized that this is no longer meeting my needs. I needed legs that um, can get uh, taller, uh, legs that were lighter, sturdier. Uh, and so that's when I invested big money in my really right stuff rigs uh, because I knew that this is all right. I'm at this point in my photography career where um, this I, I can warrant this purchase. Um, and, you know, it's not like I spent a lot of money on tripods before. I bought one that was good. You know, I bought, I can't even remember where, some camera store in Massachusetts. The guy said it was good. All right, bought it, used it. And as I got better and more uh, familiar, um, you know, it became clear like, all right, now it's time for me to move on to the next thing. I didn't start with, you know, the the 200 millimeter F 2.0 lens. I started with just kit lenses and moved my way up. Yeah, so, so you basically... You did it the way that the kind of the most like evolutionary type way where you, you start with what you think you need that is not going crazy and not spending a lot of money. <laughs> you don't want to go into debt on this stuff, you know, especially if it's a if it's a side hobby or you're doing it for enjoyment. Um, but, you know, like I remember when I was a kid and, you know, film photographing film and I got a tripod and I think my parents bought it for me. It was probably a gift. And I can't even recall how. I ended up getting the tripod I got. It's it's the one we has that big, sturdy, sturdy tri video tripod. I still have it to this day, and it is way it was way overkill for what I could have possibly needed, especially as like a seventeen year old kid. And I I wasn't I think I used it for I was I chased lightning. I lived in the Midwest, so I was chasing lightning storms and stuff. And I don't even remember when else I used this tripod. We use it now. So it's lasted, but that was, it's overkill for what, you know, and of course there probably weren't as many options, you know, like how, how long ago was that? 25 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like, I don't know. It's easy, especially today with all of the information that's put out there about, you know, this, this, this camera is, is the sensor is better than any other sensor. This lens is, you know, puts sharper, photos than any other lens before it and that kind of gear acquisition syndrome is is very real you know people feel like they and i'm guilty of it too there you know i have more lenses than i definitely need uh, in fact i was actually lamenting earlier you know i i had when with sony they have their their holy trinity their 1635 2470 and 7200 they've got f4 versions which i used to own and I sold all of them to get the 2.8 versions. And in some cases, I actually regret that because the the 2.8s, while they are great lenses, um, they're much larger and they're much heavier. And I miss the kind of smaller, lighter, um, and they perform fine. Maybe the 2470, you know, upgrading to the 2.8, that would have been good because the F4 was, mm, but the 1635 and the 7200, those are great lenses. And I never really shoot wide open. So, you know, things again that, I'm not going to go back. I have the lenses. I'm not going to deal with selling them and buying the the uh, F4s again. But I, I do keep, you know, when new lenses are announced, like you don't think I'm looking at some of these Sigma art lenses. Like I'm looking really close at them. They look really sweet. You know, I'm hoping Zeiss does some more stuff. You know, I love a new bodice lens. Uh, but 
I think I'm at, at this point, there is an, a point where I think every photographer just kind of needs to really uh, use their gear instead of buying new stuff. So Nicole, you know, I think we've, we've talked a lot about gear, but with regards to kind of the, the person, the photographer you used to be and the photographer you are today thinking about the, you know, in a business sense, you know, have you thought about, are there any things that you wish you, you know, you can back travel in time and, you know, talk to yourself and say, Hey, do this or don't do that for like to get a leg up on business. Is there anything that you can think of? Oh yeah. Hindsight's 2020, right? <laughs> um, I would say that my, so right now with my business, uh, my newsletter, my mailing list, my email list is the most valuable tool that I have. It's how I market and earn my income, really. Uh, it's like probably 99% of the income I earn is through that list. So I wish that I'd known that was something I could do. And I wish I'd signed up for MailChimp, you know, like back in 2005, when I, if, were they around in 2005? I don't know. Um, or something <laughs> when, uh, when I started my very first blog, just to have a sign up, you know, sign up for my newsletter. I wish I, I wish I had known and had the you know, the hindsight <laughs> to, to know that that could be a potential tool. But, you know, back then I did not have any idea that I was going to be making this, uh, my career and making it my, I was in the military when I first started getting serious with my photography. And my original plan was to stay in the military and retire. I would actually be retiring this year <laughs> or would have already retired by now if I had done that, which is crazy to think, you know, because right now I still feel like I'm kind of in the beginning, still in the beginning stages of my career with photographer, photography, even though I've been doing this for, you know, like 10 years now. Um, but yeah, I, I wish that I had kind of under, you know, had some type of understanding of business and marketing and going, oh, well, maybe I could use this for something else down the road, you know, because that could have, that could have, you know, I mean, I have a pretty strong list as it is now, but it's just, you look back and wonder. So, I mean, what, what, was it that made you this like what what was that that's like oh man i i should probably have a mailing list what was that that this, like what happened that's a good question uh let me think it's probably when i just decided i'm gonna start um writing my own books and trying to sell my own books um i couldn't i probably couldn't even tell you like I, you were probably one of my first subscribers. Uh, I think it was my first big book that really sold well was uh, a book on On One Photo. It was On One Software then. And it, they I think they helped, you know, they probably put it in their email. And I, I, I very likely got some subscribers that way, you know. And then from there, it just kind of grew organically. Uh, you know, I've never really done um, anything crazy to to get people to sign up. It's just uh, It's just kind of grown on its own. Yeah, I, I I'm with you there. The newsletter was the best thing that I've ever done. I know it's the definitely the best thing you've ever done. I, obviously, I know what it does for your business. Um, I do wish that I started it earlier, and I think it's going to become even more important um, as we move forward next year or two. And you know, I want to see how the social media landscape continues to play out. As more and more people become, I suspect, that much more disenchanted and turned off with social media, where they 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 want to have meaningful communications, they want to have meaningful interactions. You know, having these kinds of these emails, which granted, for the most part, are 
They're deck technically bi-directional. If I send a newsletter, you can reply and we can have a conversation. I have conversations with subscribers all the time. I invite people to to reply. But, you know, I think people will miss that, you know, with whereas with social media, you kind of go into this vacuum of of space and you put something out there and, you know, maybe you'll have something, maybe you won't. Sometimes you'll just get, you know, the 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 difference with with so with newsletters with the way that I've always kind of explained it to people is that the benefit is that is a social network of one, you know, the you, it is you, it is the Nicole show, it is the Brian show, and you control every single bit of information that goes into that email, and as long as you are smart, you know, with how you um you 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 fill that email up, with the kinds of words you use, how often you send uh, this the, um, your newsletters out, you know, the, the hit rate, meaning if I share a photo on Facebook, let's say my Facebook page has, I have say 5,500 people who've liked it and I share a photo, I'll see it shows, um, when you're logged in, you know, the reach is, uh, maybe 600 people saw it. Like what, what is that? Whereas if I send a newsletter, um, you know, as long as it doesn't get uh, hit a spam filter, um, then you're getting it. It's going to hit your inbox, whether it's in your inbox or if you're using Gmail and it puts it in like promotions, but it'll get there. And I think that that's very powerful. And as long as you take care to, to you know, you, you really um, treat your audience with respect in terms of sending them meaningful content, like not just always sell, 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 but like, I follow that like, you know, 90% of the time I just give, I want to give, you know, here's some, here's a new video I did, or here's a new post I did. And then when it is time to, you know, I work on a big product, Hey, check this out. So, you know, what do you think about that? Well, I, when I think about, you know, I, I don't have any actual experience other than my own that I've created, like with marketing and business. I've, I've never been to school for it or anything like that. So a lot of the things that I do for my business and, you know, like the the approaches that I take for my business are basically, I'm just analyzing my own behaviors. You know, um, I, like one of my hobbies that I really enjoy, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, trying to make it even a bigger hobby in my life is pottery. And so I follow potters and ceramic artists on Instagram and YouTube. But if I'm really interested in somebody's coffee mugs, I make sure that I sign up for their newsletter because I know that they're going to share in their newsletter when their Etsy store is lost stock, you know, little things like that, you know? So, cause I'm not always checking. Um, I'm not always checking uh, Instagram. I'm not always checking YouTube. I'm not going to catch the latest thing. You have to be very vigilant, it, you know, as a, as a consumer. And it's a lot easier if somebody just sends me an email. Sure. Yeah. That's actually a really interesting point. I hadn't, I hadn't considered that, but you did touch on something that, um, for me, like moving on to the next point with regards to marketing and design. So, uh, you know, obviously I, I see Nicole every day and I see what she does, uh, for her work every day. And, you know, I'll, for me, I am awful at, for instance, like graphic design, design elements, laying out a web page, laying out the cover of an ebook. Whereas Nicole, like she said, she she never went to school, neither did I. Um, to her, it's it, it's clearly a, a natural skill. If you go to her website or you look at her store, 
every single thing there she created she the website itself she built i mean she we we use a theme but she codes everything um for me <laughs> not so i mean i do too my website everything is built but um i do rely a lot on nicole like uh, her her input and stuff so if i could go back in time a decade ago or more so i really wish i could tell myself like listen you're gonna be operating in this space heavily go sign up for a basic graphic design course and an seo uh course seo being search engine optimization you know these are these are currencies that or skills maybe is a better word that if you have it it, it you you are that much more equipping yourself for success and uh you know i really do wish I had, I mean, I'm getting better every day. The more I'm, I, I learn, like, you know, with uh, this this course with Then and Now, uh, I laid out the book in InDesign and Nicole, you know, she never knew InDesign. She taught herself InDesign. And so she sat down and kind of helped me understand some of the key principles of uh, character styles and paragraph styles. And uh, in the early days, you know, one of the most common uh, kind of criticisms that Nicole would give me of my of the graphics and layout is that I never gave enough padding, enough space for elements to breathe. I would put the text, you know, almost no margin. The text would, would bump up against the edge of the frame or the graphic would be too busy. Uh, and so these are things I start to think about more, but you know, this late in the game for me, at least it's, you know, I'm, I am at a handicap. Whereas, uh, someone who has, uh, either the natural inclination or the the you know the the clinical skill to do it you know that is something that I highly recommend you don't think about it you know for photographers who are out there who are just taking photos and sharing photos using uh, other people's networks like you know Instagram and Flickr and stuff you don't have to worry about that but when the time comes when uh, this or that social network dies out and you want people you know people have to come to your website. If the website doesn't look good, um, you know, it does, or it looks like the same as everyone else's, if you're using like a Square, Squarespace account or just the same WordPress theme, there's a problem um, because it reflects. I, I take it as a reflection of the individual. So, you know, what do you think about that? Well, it's interesting because you know there would be some people who would argue that like, why don't you just hire a graphic designer? You know, and that's that's what some people can do. And there, I would say like for you, Brian, that it's, it's not necessary. You know, you, you are very, you understand, uh, you do understand good design. You just need a little bit of a, of a Nicolsey push, you know, which to, to refine the edges of it, you know, and make sure your, your margins are better. <laughs> but there are people who are not, you know, like, let's say you are like an author and you're really good at writing novels, but you are awful at designing a book cover. You know, I've, I've, when I was doing my eBooks, I remember seeing forums where, um, you know, posts where people are saying, oh, you can't, how dare you not, not to me, but just people saying like, oh, you shouldn't design your own book cover. You shouldn't design your own book cover. And I'm like, well, I do, <laughs> you know, because I love doing it. And it's, it's just part of, you know, I, I do almost everything myself and I'm kind of stubborn that way. It'd be really difficult. I, maybe I'm just over, I can, you know, it's my business and I control it. And I don't know how much I want to hand over that control to somebody else. Um, so that was just, you know, like a lot of people, you know, that is something that you can do though. If you want to do a specific thing with your business and you know, it's outside of your skill level, like, like 
building a website, for example, find someone that can do it for you. You know, there's no harm and there's no shame in doing any of that. Um, but if you know you have the capacity to do it, you know, like like for me, I would love to learn how to code. I'm considering, you know, and this is one of those things I want in, in five or 10 years, if we do another show, I don't want to say, oh, I wish I had gone to code camp, you know, because I really want to go and I really think it would be something that would benefit me. And, you know, so that's just like one of those things, like looking forward, maybe I'll do that. Yeah. I mean, to the, to the end of like knowing or bringing on people who you really need help. I know that, you know, you and I both for, for the ebook in then and now, and for all, every single ebook you've published, we work with a, a copy editor who goes through, we provide her with the manuscript and we pay her and she goes through as if it was a book pub. I mean, she works, worked for freelances and worked for a book publisher. Um, and she makes sure that our writing is tight. And that's something that, yes, I use Grammarly, which if you don't use Grammarly, um, it's a plugin for, for Chrome and Safari. Highly recommended. It's free. It's wonderful. It actually analyzes your, uh, your writing for grammar and, and spelling. Um, but it's well beyond that, like sentence structure and just like maybe phrasing can be better. It's, it's so humbling. And I consider myself to be a very, very skilled writer. But when I get her feedback, it's like, oh man, this is, and I learned from it. So yeah. Oh, I've learned a ton just, you know, cause I've, I, I don't even know how, how many books I've written, you know, with Peach Pit and then with myself, I, I, I'm a better writer because I've gone through the process of writing and then having somebody fix my words and then go back and redo it, you know, and, and now it's almost to the point where I, I'll write something and I'll go, oh, Linda's just going to change it if I write it this way. So I might as well do it the way she'd tell me to. And, you know, and, and another thing I do too, when I, for, for my really, in, you know, big how-to type books, I hire an indexer and it's not cheap, but I feel that it adds like a really good, you know, because you can hyperlink the index and people can find things really quickly. So, you know, there's little things that, that you do, but th those are, those are good things to find other people to help you with. Yeah. And this is so like, you know, again, watching Nicole, and again, the, this may or may not be applicable to you uh, it, as a photographer, though, one, you know, if you want to find a common denominator it is kind of looking at the, the, the deal being in the details um, and uh, not, you know, making sure that you sweat the, the way you present yourself. So, for example, uh, I remember when Nicole was putting out her own ebooks, she would register um, every book. She would get an ISBN number, an ISBN number. If you open up any book. Uh, to the first, to the to the copyright page, you'll see uh, usually at least one, if not two, versions of the ISBN. There's a 13 character and a 10 character, and that that is a you register that. Um, and so you know, like it's an ebook that 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 she self published, but she treats it, she presents it as if this was coming from you know Penguin or Random House. She you can also create generate an actual barcode that if you scanned it, it would come up with the retail price and the title and all that stuff put and you know would embed that on the back cover and so i picked up on that as well and it really is about um you know thinking that you know how you put yourself forward you know even if it's you're not a writer if you're a photographer like if i went to your website and i do this every now and then uh or even just at the very base level we bring it back to social media if someone messages me and uh, they uh, they're like oh check out my work or this or that and I go and they don't even have uh, uh, they didn't even put an avatar on their profile meaning like their little headshot 
or I go to their about page and their about page has nothing. That shows to me that like, well, that's, that's your digital ID card. You know, if you're telling me or you're in, or if you want to talk about your website, like if your website, you know, the, I'll, one of the things, this is my own little thing. I'll always go to the bottom uh, footer of a website to see if the copyright year has been updated. Now, some websites will do it automatically, but more often than not, it's a manual process. And if I see copyright 99 or 2016, I am like, this person is not really paying attention. Uh, and, and it's just, listen, I'm sorry. You know, or if I go, uh, and, you know, to someone's portfolio and I can tell that the portfolio has not been updated with new imagery. Um, it's just, I, I, I don't know. It's there's, if you want to put yourself out there in a certain way, you, it takes a lot of time. It's well beyond just the act of going out and taking photos and editing photos. Yeah. And like, let's say if you have um, a good example, probably would be like a portrait or a wedding photography business. A lot of people still blog. I mean, we still blog, you know, and I know that a lot of people who do those types of uh, photo shoots are going to, I mean, now they're probably posting a lot of it to Instagram, but I know, I remember seeing people would post like, oh, you know, so-and-so's engagement shoot and then they'd share it, you know, like when I, I do that too. I've, I have looked at the footer. I'm, I'm right on top of you with that to see when, you know, is this website kind of being maintained? Because that's the first indicator. Uh, it, to me it is, but it's also, when was the last time they shared a blog post? You know, if, if it's a blog, is this something from 2015? You know, I, I was looking at some blog posts earlier today and I was like, oh, this is really old. This is a really old blog post. It wasn't it wasn't a photography thing. It was something completely different, but probably pottery. <laughs> but, you know, you, you just kind of you just kind of get a different perception of that. That person is like, oh, are they even still doing this anymore? Are they still around? What are they up to? Yeah. I mean, it, it, again, don't you know, I don't want anyone out there to like freak out about it if anyone is. But it is something that I, I'm starting to find actual enjoyment. Again, one of the things I picked up from Nicole you know, she has gone through great lengths to manicure her blog posts, meaning, you know, we both have hundreds and hundreds over the years, hun amassed hundreds of blog posts. And, uh, you know, if you go back to some of the oldest ones, those don't need to be live anymore. They're just um, not only are they irrelevant, but they actually can slow your uh, your website down. They can negatively impact uh, your, your search engine optimization ranking with Google. So I know Nicole had gone through had and had really kind of meticulously categorized her blog posts um, so that uh, you know there's a clear hierarchy because Google will reward you for that. If you have a, just a bunch of a mess and and everything's uncategorized, you actually get impacted. Um, and I know you just went through recently and started like hiding old posts that you just don't need to be live, right? Oh yeah, I had a bunch because back you know I th I started blogging in 2005, so. You know, we're going on, I can do math, 13 years now that I've been blogging. And I, but I probably don't have any any posts live that far back because back then I was treating my blog more like we treat social media now, like something I would share to Instagram or Flickr uh, or Twitter or whatever you use. Uh, that was kind of my you know way of sharing because those things weren't even really around yet. Um, so yeah, I, I went through and I just cleaned it up. I got rid of just the the photos, like only a photo with like one sentence type of posts that, that weren't really relevant. Tried to push it more towards what my blog really is now uh, about, which is more teaching and education and inspiration too. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I think there's, we can keep going back and forth, but I do find the learning about the design and the marketing side of things. I do wish if I can go back in time, I, I total. in addition to telling myself to invest in Google and Apple, 
uh, you know, 15, 10 or 15 years ago, uh, I would, t- I would really spend more time learning, you know, CSS, for example, um, and, and what good principles of graphic design. But, you know, the last one, just to, you know, tie this up, if I can go back. So I don't know what it, why, you know, but I always spent all of my time as far as photo editing, primarily in Lightroom, you know, or I jump into on one a little bit back then. I would also use photomatics a lot, but one app that I, I hardly ever used was Photoshop. And boy, I'll tell you, I, I, I regret that, you know, probably almost more than anything else on this uh, that we've talked about, because, uh, there is, so, I mean, photo, I mean, obviously Photoshop is like a, a 600 pound gorilla and you can do so much with it, but it's not that I want to know how to do every single thing, you know, or become a certified expert or master. You, you're, you're, well, you used to be right. I, yeah. I haven't taken the test in a couple of years. I'm, I, I, I've been thinking about doing it. It's, it's a beast. It's a tough test. It's, you basically have to know the menu structure of Photoshop. <laughs> it's not like a skill test of your abilities in Photoshop. It's weird. Yeah. It, it, so I'm not looking necessarily to become Adobe certified in Photoshop, but you know, there, there is so much. So when you spend as much time as I have, and I'm sure there are tons of, of listeners who are, you know, can relate when you spend as much time in Lightroom, you very quickly start to see or bump it to the limitations, the creative limitations, because Lightroom is designed to, you know, I, I think it's more of a classical photo editing application. You know, it doesn't, you're not there, you're not adding any sort of glows or anything like that. Um, it's just there for you to fix, correct your photo uh, and, and then add some minor things like split toning or messing with the tone curve or the hue saturation luminance. It's basically a dark room. I mean, you know, it's light room, but it's a dark room. It's like if you if you're familiar with working in a dark room with black and white or color film, that's that's what you can do. Of course, it's evolved beyond that now, but that's the gist of it. That's great. I mean, it's that's perfect, and that's exactly what it is. It's meant for photographers. I, I feel like the you know Adobe went and distilled Photoshop par- parts of Photoshop into Lightroom a decade ago or however long it's been, um, and gave them the tools that they need, but. Photoshop really does have just it's it's it boggles my mind how powerful it is and I'm not, not talking about like these crazy things like you know compositing or you know puppet warps or anything like that I'm talking simply like if let's just take split toning perfect example you know you can you can do your split toning in Lightroom but in Photoshop that explodes into all kinds of different things you can use like gradient maps you can use blend ifs controlling exactly where or and how uh, where using blend ifs where that that's that gradient map is applied um and then how using blending modes so i would say that um i'm not dangerous in photoshop i'm competent i can i can work my way around it but I'm not dangerous and I want to get to the point where I'm dangerous. So that has been, that has been a big goal of mine, partly because, you know, I do like putting out new videos every week, like editing videos. And you do reach a point where it's like, unless the, the subject of the photo changes, like unless I start working on portrait photos, there's only so much you can show, um, 
you know, talk about with a waterfall photo using Lightroom um, before you really need to start thinking about different things because you don't want to be repetitive. So, you know, Nicole, you, you were Adobe certified, and I guess every, was it two years or so you have to renew or however long, but what do you think? Do you, do you find yourself mostly, you know, uh, with what you do, not just with your own photos, but with what you teach, do you find yourself uh, sufficiently, I guess, happy working Premiere in Lightroom, or are you also like a big Photoshop person? So, right, so I started, let's see, I would have been 17, I think, working at a photo lab, and we had Photoshop, and I couldn't even tell you what version it was, um, and a scanner, and I can remember that's when I first started learning Photoshop. I probably wasn't using layers. You know, I'm sure some of the things I did were awful if I were to look at them now, but Photoshop has always been like my first photo editing tool ever because I was using Photoshop before Lightroom even existed. And I started, I remember getting in the beta for Lightroom and thinking this is awful because <laughs> it was pretty awful at first. But I, at least I recall it that way because I was such a Photoshop, you know, bridge and Photoshop person. But, you know, and that, so I went from using, I used a ton of Photoshop. I have a bunch of actions that I made for myself. And then, you know, I started really using Lightroom a lot more. Now I probably would say that I use Lightroom more, but I also have been starting to use Photoshop more now than I did, let's say in the last few years. And because I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm very, I don't know if I, I you'd call me dangerous in Photoshop, but I know Photoshop really well. Um, it's, it's cause it's, it's not like I'm the best at compositing or the best at, you know, whatever fill in the blank thing you can do in Photoshop, but I have a really, I understand it. You know, I kind of understand the inner workings of it. I mean, it is, it is a monster and there are so many things you can do in Photoshop. It's like crazy, which is partly why I love it as an educator, especially because you can do so many different things. And I remember just playing around in Photoshop and just exploring and, and experimenting and seeing what I could come up with. And I, I kind of want to get back into that again and really start focusing my energy in that. Yeah. I, uh, if there's someone, if you're, you know, listeners out there want to find someone who I would say is like masterful and dangerous with Photoshop, you should definitely check out my friend, Blake Rudis. Um, he's, I, I, if you do Blake Rudis, R-U-D-I-S, or I think he operates, his channel might be F64 Academy. Um, his Photoshop videos are, Grant, these are, I would say more on the intermediate to advanced, not like it's not advanced like these crazy compositing things, but when he talks to you and teaches you about the difference between, say, luminosity and color blend modes, it's not like, well, here I'll click luminosity and then you see it and here's I'll click color. He actually goes through and explains like, because he, he is a classically trained, uh, educated artist. Uh, and so he understands color theory really well. And I learned a lot from him. And that's something that also, you know, I want to do more of uh, is is kind of expose and cross pollinate, you know, my audience to other people to to grow because if you're at that point, you know, where you need like you're at a level seven or eight with Photoshop and you want to get to nine or ten, you know, checking someone out like Blake is is there. So I don't know. For me, I do wish I went back and I don't remember when I first started using Photoshop, but it's not hard for me to understand why a lot of people could be intimidated by it because it's such a you know big bad application you open it up for the first time and all these panels are there there's almost i don't think there's even a single slider whereas if you come from lightroom 
No, I mean, uh, there's, I don't, on first, at first glance, when you open up Photoshop brand new, Lightroom, if you're going from Lightroom to Photoshop, Lightroom, all sliders, you drag it to the left, to the right, it's easy. Photoshop, you have nothing. It's a layers panel, you know, a toolbar on the left, and maybe the adjustment layers, a few others in the browser. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, there's... And when, you know, that's one of the things that as people who try to teach this, you know, it's, it's great to see kind of these things. Like when you first go into Photoshop, you just sit there and you go, what do I do? <laughs> you know, I have people asking me, how do I put another, how do I basically take a photo? I have a photo in Photoshop. How do I put another photo on top of that photo in Photoshop? You know what I mean? And to me, these are very basic things, but they're all, they're, but they're very difficult and challenging things if you don't know how to do it. But you're right. When you open up Photoshop, there's no kind of like start here button. There's no automatic, oh, I just, I click add filter. You know, it, it doesn't have that. And I think that's why so many people are intimidated by it. And it's really unfortunate that people are moving away from it because it's such, I mean, it is the industry standard and it is super powerful. You could do everything in Photoshop that you can do in all the other apps that create. And not to knock any of those other apps, because I think that there is a place for everything. And I obviously teach a lot of those, and I love a lot of those apps. But my heart's always been with Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for a long time, in the early days, a lot of these third-party apps, all they were do they were automating things you do in Photoshop before they became their own standalone apps. Um, so, you know, I think this was, for me, this was very cathartic, very, very, very healthy conversation just to, because it's good to put it out there uh, and then, you know, use that as fuel to continue to grow. We're always growing. I don't care how old you are and how long you've been shooting photography. If you can tell yourself or tell me, honestly, you've learned everything there is to know about photography, then, um, you know, I, I, I have a bridge to sell you. So uh, with that, first, Nicole, again, thank you so much for joining. Why don't you tell everyone? where they can, you know, find more about you? Yeah, you know, my website is the best place to find me. If you go to nicolesy.com, that's spelled N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y, and you'll be able to find me everywhere else on the interwebs. Excellent. And for me, I'm at matias.com, M-A-T-I-A-S-H. Uh, and again, if you would uh, want to check out my brand new photo course, I would love it. It's called Then and Now. Just head over to my website and you'll see a banner there. Uh, and uh, other than that, I want to thank you. Oh, yeah. And then show notes. One last thing. Show notes are, will be at nonamephotoshow.com. I'll link to, I don't know. I mean, we really didn't talk about anything individual. Link to Photoshop. <laughs> yeah, link to Alien Photo. Bees. What did we talk about? <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean. MailChimp. <laughs> yeah. Uh, head over to nonamephotoshow.com. If you're not subscribed already, I, you know, I'd love it if you subscribe. And if it, you do enjoy the show, if you, you know, listen in iTunes or Spotify or Google, if you want to leave a review. That would be really wonderful. So with that, uh, I will see all of you on episode 51. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the No Name Photo Show. Don't forget to check out the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com and be sure to subscribe in whichever app you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss a beat. Let's do this again next time.